Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're joining us. We are going to celebrate communion or Lord's Supper, if you prefer that term, at the end of the service. So folks at home, if you want to get some kind of bread or crackers and some kind of drink to celebrate with us, this would be a good time to do that. All right, we started a series last week called Loving Like Jesus, and we all could say, those of us that are Jesus followers, yeah, I love like Jesus. Well, do you really? Do we really? What does that look like? Today's topic is serving like Jesus. But last week, quick review, we said if you're really going to love like Jesus, you need to forgive like Jesus. A lot easier said than done. So we said there was two components of forgiving like Jesus. Pray for those that hurt you. That's a tough one, right? Uh, we, most of us want to get even with them or vengeance on them. But no, pray for them. Pray for their well-being. And forgive as you've been forgiven. How have you been forgiven? Completely, right? So, if I'm going to love like Jesus, I have to forgive like Jesus. If I'm going to love like Jesus, I'm going to have to serve like Jesus. Um, tell you a story about a man who got sick. He was really not feeling very well, so he went to the doctor. They, the doctor sent him to a specialist. They did a bunch of tests, and they basically, basically figured out what was wrong with him. So he's sitting there with his, with his wife, and the doctor said, I'd like to talk to your wife first. So they went into another room. The doctor says to his wife, well, <clears throat> I'm sorry to tell you, your husband's really sick. And um, if we don't do anything, he's going to die pretty soon. But we really believe um, that with, with some treatments that we can give him, and then if he has a really strict diet, which means you're going to have to watch everything he eats, you're going to have to prepare every meal for him. Uh, he needs a sterile environment, so you basically got to keep the house spotless. Basically, you got to, you know, uh, wait on him hand and foot. And if you do that, after an extended period of time, we believe he'll actually get better. So they go out to meet the husband, and the husband is anxious, obviously, to see what the doctor's going to say. And uh, actually, the wife responds to him. She says, uh, you're going to die. <laughs> Basically, what she's saying is what? It's on your outline. I'm not doing that, right? Now, we all have said that. We all have thought that. We all have done that, haven't we? So my question is, why? Why do I sometimes say I'm not going to do that? There could be lots of reasons. I mean, sometimes you can't. That's a little bit different. But most of the time it's like, well, I'd better not, or I don't feel like it, or I'm not really good at it, or, you know, it's below me. You know, somebody, some other peon can do it. Uh, whatever. But are they good reasons? So when we talk about loving like Jesus, we're talking about uh, forgiving like Jesus. That is irrational. It's unlogical, isn't it? And so we talk about serving like Jesus, it's going to sound just as irrational or ir just as ir uh, illogical. So we're going to look at uh, something that happened in Jesus' life, the last evening of his life. Um, and it's recorded in well, multiple places in Scripture, but we're going to look at John chapter 13. This is John's account. He said, before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew the hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. So, Passover was huge in the Jewish, it still is, in Judaism. And so this is Holy Week for Christians, but it's Holy Week for Jews also. 
But what are they celebrating? Well, they're celebrating Passover. That goes way back to when the Israelites were in Egypt. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years. And through Moses and God working miracles, uh, plagues, we call them plagues, bad things happened to the Egyptians. The last plague was, okay, if you spread blood around your door, this angel will pass over your house. But if you don't have blood around your door, the angel's going to kill the, your oldest child. Of course, most Egyptians didn't do that. And so Pharaoh, oldest child, died that night. He agreed to let the Israelites go. He changed his mind later, but he agreed to let them go uh, because literally the next Pharaoh, the oldest child would have been the next Pharaoh, actually died that night. And so from that day to this, the Jews have been celebrating this huge celebration of Passover. The Israelites were, after 400 years of captivity, are free again. And so that's what Jesus gathered his disciples. He was a good Jew. Gathered his disciples to celebrate the Passover. The text goes on. He loved his disciples. Oh, no, I haven't finished reading that part yet. <laughs> uh, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, of course. And now he loved them to the very end. Now, what was going to happen at the very end? We talked about last week. One of his prime disciples, Peter, is going to deny him three times. Um, all of them desert him, right? And the text says something about one of the disciples. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Betrayal, denial, abandoning, Jesus still loved them to the end. That's exactly how he loves you and I. So the end. So, Holy Week. Holy Week started with Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, right? And Jesus riding in a donkey had this, this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They proclaimed him the Messiah, which he is, but they were expecting him to do what? Not get rid of the Egyptians now, get rid of the Romans now, right? So you're going to set, a, you know, you're, you're going to set us free from the, from the Romans. So we're going to celebrate that. That was what happened on Sunday. Monday, Jesus went into the temple. Uh, he had done this before. He turned over the money changers' tables and said, this is a place of worship. It's not a place to make money. On Tuesday, he has a huge fight with the religious leaders. Now, if you're the Messiah, you would think that you and the religious leaders would be like this, right? But they had this huge fight. We don't know what happened on Wednesday. And then this account here happens on Thursday evening, the last Literally, last evening of Jesus' life, right? Now, fortunately, we have four accounts of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have differing but similar accounts of different events. So I wanted to read a couple of the other accounts of some of the things that went on at this Passover celebration, this meal. So Luke's account, he says this. Then they, the, being the disciples, began to argue among themselves about what? Well, about who was going to be the greatest among them. All right, so John, in his writing, he, he says, I'm the one Jesus loved. I was his favorite. Uh, Peter probably said, well, I, you know, I walked on water. None of the rest of you guys did. And then the rest of them could say, but then you sank. Uh, so they're arguing. They're bickering like children, right? 
about who's going to be the greatest. Now, why was it important to be the greatest? Well, Jesus is going to set up this kingdom, and if Jesus is king, then I want to be, you know, his right-hand man. So that's what they're arguing about. So Jesus, he had done this other times. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over the people, and yet they're still called friends of the people. Some translations use the word benefactors. So we have these leaders that have all this power and all this money, and they're supposed to be treating us justly or kindly or taking care of us, but they're just usually doing the opposite, right? They're really not friends of the peons, the common, common people. But the disciples are trying to figure out how they can be number two to Jesus. How, who, who's going to be his favorite? Those of you with children, how, if you've got more than one child, do you have a favorite? Hopefully not. <laughs> we don't have a favorite. Those of you who have grandchildren, do you have a favorite? Now, if you're the child, you, you proclaim yourself the favorite, right? <laughs> but no, and we're not to have favorites. So, uh, Luke's account goes on. So that's how it is in the world. It's still that way today, right? The powerful people take advantage of it. They, they use the regular folks. But among you it will be different. So we're not going to operate that way. All right? How's it going to be different, Jesus? Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I want to be, you know, your right-hand man, Jesus. You say, if I... If I want to be great, I'm going to be somewhere down at the bottom. And the leader should be like a servant. And then what's he say? For I am among you as one who serves. Now, we can't comprehend this. Uh, for most of us, and if you're not a Jesus follower, you may not believe this, but for most of us that are Jesus followers believe that Jesus is God. <laughs> All right? So if anybody shouldn't be serving anybody else, it should be Jesus, right? Everybody should be serving Him. But He says, I, I, I've not come to lord it over you. As God, He's got all kinds of power too, right? He says, I, I come among you as one who serves. How amazing is that? Now I want to read you Matthew's account, the same thing. <laughs> he says the exact same thing. For e um, but among you, it'll be different. How does He explain it different here? Whoever wants to be leader must be your servant. It's like upside down, right? It's, it's illogical. It's confusing. And whoever wants to be first among you must become... Now, here he uses not just the word servant. He uses the word slave. A servant might have some options. A slave has no options. So what is he saying? What's the difference between the leader that wants to use his power and the leader who wants to serve? Well, where's the focus? Well, the leader wants to use his power, it focuses on him. You know, look at me, how, how, how great I am, how powerful I am. The leader who wants to serve focuses where? On the people. So Jesus is saying, that's what it needs to be for us. And then one of the, this, this next verse is one of the most powerful verses to me in Scripture. Every time I read it, it just... I have to say, I just have to stop and think. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even Jesus came not to be served. 
So he left heaven, he came to earth, and he didn't come here to be served. But he should be deserved to be served, right? Not to serve, be served, but to serve others. And not just to serve them. And here's the part that just stops me in my tracks. And to give his life a ransom for many. They thought he was going to come as the Messiah and save them through his life, set up an earthly kingdom. He said, no, 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 I'm the Messiah, but I've come to serve you by giving my life for you. So I ask you a question. What do you think Jesus saw in that upper room when he looked at his disciples? What did he see? I'll suggest two things to you. Now, again, Jesus is the host of this meal. He's the one that set it up. What did Jesus see? I'll suggest he saw two things. Proud hearts and dirty feet, of course. Right? Proud hearts and dirty feet. So, back to our text in John. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. I mean, he had the power to do anything he wanted. And he came from God and would return to God. Uh, it's actually going to happen pretty quickly. So what's he do? Well, for whatever reason, no one had served the the 13 of them, I guess, as they came in. So they all had dirty feet. They all had dusty feet. And a common custom then, when you entered someone's house, was to do what? Well, have a servant, not the host, but a servant, wash the people's feet. That was common courtesy. Right? Nowadays, we would, you know, can I take your coat? Can I get you a drink? Make yourself comfortable, whatever. In their day, that was common courtesy. So, since no one had done it, and none of the disciples had jumped up and did it, he, Jesus, got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured some water in a basin, and they began to kneel at the feet of each of these disciples and wash their feet and drying them with a towel. So, I'm trying to picture today. So, I invite you to my house, and you come in. Uh, would you like me to give you a pedicure? That's the closest thing I could come to. Now, I'm not most of you. Most of us don't like feet too much, do we? Um, sometimes they're dirty, they're smelly, and so forth. So I, I was trying to think of another illustration that would kind of give us the, the, the radical bridge here. So pick your idol, whether it's a religious idol like Billy Graham or somebody like that. Maybe somebody's alive now. Somebody historical. Um, could be a uh, movie star. It could be a rock star. It could be a, a political person, a Mother Teresa. I don't know. Pick the person that, that here on earth you probably admire the most. Okay, imagine them coming to your house. All right? And they say, I, I, I would like to clean your toilets. How are you going to feel about that? Probably not. You're going to feel horrified, right? Well, as horrible as that may be, there's no comparison as horrible this is. This is the Son of God washing dirty feet. 
why would Jesus do this? Well, lots of reasons. But one reason I want to suggest to you is this. He said, I can do that. Right? 30 feet, there's water, towel. I can do that. That's not beneath me. I've come to serve. It's a simple way to serve. So rather than, I can, I'm not going to do that, I can do that. So I'm thinking through Scripture, different illustrations. One I thought about was the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, guy gets all beat up and he's bloody and dying and two religious guys go by and don't want to <laughs> comment on what, why they might go by and not help. But they said, I'm not going to do that, right? And then a Samaritan comes along that Jews didn't care for, <laughs> and he helps. So I can do that. I can help this guy. In fact, he paid for his, his, his to get well. Statistics. Statistics say that in the average church, 30% of the people serve, which means what? 70% of the people don't serve. So this, this is incongruent, right? If Jesus said, I've come to serve, if I'm going to love like Jesus, I'm going to serve, so how, how, how is 70% of the people not serving? Now, I want to brag on you folks. I think we're way above 30%, but we're not 100%, right? So you ask yourself, in any situation, can I do that? <clears throat> now, I'm in two small groups, and in one of my small groups, there's only two males, <laughs> And the other people are females. And so one of the ladies, I guess she won't mind me using her name. No, she's no Ellen Savoy. Her sister needed to move. And they're elder, older, just like I am. And so she asked these two males, Richard Allen and myself, if we would help her move. So my question I asked myself, can I do that? Now, I've helped a lot of people move. I'm getting older, but I think I can still do that. And so we went and helped. Anyway, this lady... Ellen's sister came to church last Sunday, and she wanted to thank us for helping her move. And I said, our privilege. It was the easiest move. I've, again, I've moved lots of people in my lifetime. It was the easiest move I've ever done. We were finished in like two hours. Uh, we got stuff out of a storage unit that was like a mile from our house. And most of the stuff that went in our house went on the ground floor. We just had to carry a few things upstairs. Only a few things were heavy. Uh, we had other people to help. It was the easiest thing. All I asked myself is, can I do this? Now, I said lots of you volunteer for lots of things, but we always need more help, right? Um, a couple of ladies had a vacation Bible school meeting this week. Uh, I think it's the last day of August, uh, July, vacation Bible school comes up this year. We always have to try and get people to volunteer for Bible school. Now, you might have a good reason. Maybe you have to work that week. We actually have people that take off of work to work in Bible school. Now, I taught Bible school last year because I don't always teach it, but we didn't have enough teachers. <laughs> and uh, I was told I wasn't doing a very good job, especially with the little ones. Uh, so eventually I got better during the week. As the week went on, when I was doing the little three-year-olds, I was, you know, got down like this. Uh, I figured, you know, I'm used to standing up and talking, but no, with little kids, you need to get down on their level. <clears throat> but why? My wife often goes around with a clipboard. You all have seen this, right? <laughs> Trying to get volunteers. Well, why should she? Why should she have to? 
You should be coming to her saying, I want to volunteer, whether it's Bible school. Another thing, we got to start cutting grass. And we used to have teams that do it. Last year, I think you guys had to do it one at a time. Actually, I've gotten two new volunteers for, for cutting grass this year, so maybe it'll be a little easier. But the question is, can I do that? Can you cut grass? That's just some examples. We got, what, like I say, most of you people do lots of things. We work in the cafe, you lead up here with me, you work it back in the sound booth, you work with the kids, you do cut grass, et cetera, et cetera. But if we're going to love like Jesus, we need to serve like Jesus. I've said this before, I, one of the basic rules of thumb for me is, is the golden rule. Now, the interesting thing to me is the golden rule wasn't unique to, to Judaism. Uh, the ancient cultures had a similar statement with a huge difference. Let's read it with the way Jesus taught us the, the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Okay? This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, we have the Ten Commandments, for example. In the Ten Commandments, it says, do not steal, for example. Well, I don't need a Ten Commandment to tell me not to steal because I don't want somebody to steal from me, right? Do I want somebody to lie to me? Nope. Do I want somebody to kill me? Nope. <laughs> Do I want somebody to com commit adultery against me? Nope. So, kind of sums up, kind of an easy rule to kind of guide your actions. But you know in other cultures how it's stated? Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It's stated negatively. Jesus made it positive, proactive. <clears throat> now, one other thing here. It's not just about the actions. It's also about the attitude, right? Those of you who have children, when you told them to do something or asked them to do something and they went, okay, do you give them any credit for doing it? No. In a parent's eyes, they got no credit for doing that because of the attitude, right? Now, we'd drop dead if they said this. I'd love to, Mom or Dad, <laughs> on the other hand. Uh, but attitude matters, right? And, and, and it, it, we struggle with it. I don't feel like it. Yeah, I don't feel like working with kids. I don't feel like cutting grass. I don't feel like whatever. What's well, not about I, I don't feel like it? You think Jesus felt like washing their feet? You think Jesus felt like dying on a cross? It's all about attitude. So, here's the easiest way to, for me to remember it. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. So this is something I just do, occasionally do. As a Jesus follower, as an example, Jesus set the example for me. If he could be a servant, how much more should I be a servant? That's who I am. There's a term that's been popping up in the church world in the last 10 years or so, and uh, it's this, uh, spiritual consumers. Uh, we're not just to be spiritual consumers. I love the way uh, Rick Warren says it. People come and sit, they soak, meaning they consume, and you know what happens when you do that? You sour. 
right? We're not to come to sit, soak, and sour. We're not to come to be spiritual consumers. We're come to be spiritual contributors. We're come to be servants. You know, if you're, I'll give you a, a hint of one way you can tell if you're, you're, you've got a spiritual consumer mentality. Oh, my needs aren't being met. My needs aren't, whether it's, you know, small group or something, our talking, our worship, whatever it is. That's spiritual consumerism. Now, when I serve others, God changes lives. That's what we want, change lives, right? Transform lives. And the first life he changes is whose? It's mine. And the most amazing thing about it, being a Jesus follower is God uses you and I. And nothing can compare to that. Even if it's just moving furniture. So, simple rule of thumb. You want to encourage, in, 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 uh, improve your marriage? Serve your spouse. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. That would solve 90% of the problem. Just go home and serve your spouse. You don't have to come back for any more counseling. Uh, community. We try and serve our community. We want a better community, we serve our community. You want a better church? Serve the church. But there's this fulfillment, that there's this joy in serving. You can't get any other way. So again, serving's not what we do, right? Serving is who I am. Go back to that day that I helped move furniture. At the end of that day, I, I I said, I had a good day. You know why I had a good day? Because I got to serve somebody. You know, Jesus jacks all this stuff up so high. Remember, there was a law that the Romans could, soldiers could make you carry their, 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 their packs for a mile. So I can imagine what most, most Jews, Jews did, right? They got to that mile marker. What did they do? There, Right? Jesus said, no, 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 you got the wrong attitude, right? He said, oh, can I carry it for you another mile? This is your enemy. This is the pe people that have <laughs> invaded your country and control of it. Somebody has to borrow your, your coat. Okay. He says you have to return it by evening. But he said, oh, would you like my shirt too? Attitude. Serving. So what did Jesus see in that upper room? Proud hearts and dirty feet. What does Jesus see in this room? Hopefully no dirty feet. It'd be nice if there weren't any proud hearts either. So, opportunity arises, and we're going to say, I'm not doing that, or, you know, I can't. Because serving is not what I do. Serving, the servant is who I am. So we put a little gauge on your, your outline to finish up. Uh, I had a number on your outline, I think. So kind of gauge yourself in serving your family somewhere on that. Hopefully it's over in the green side over there. But maybe you got one that's in the yellow or orange. I would suggest focusing on that. I need a better job of serving God or serving the church or serving your friends. I pray you take time to actually do that and then take steps to, to improve. Let me pray with you, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper together.
Uh, Father God, you can't comprehend how Jesus came to serve. If anybody deserved to be worshipped or served, it would be him. What a huge example to us. Forgive us for having proud heart, for not serving when uh, we have the opportunity. Um, God, for anybody that's not Jesus, Father, we pray that, that this character of Jesus would be so radical it would transform them to understand that he truly was your, your son and he did truly die to set you free, free from the power and the penalty of sin. Uh, God, I would pray that we would all say, I am a servant. We thank you for your presence here. Continue to speak to us through this service. In Jesus' name, amen.